The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. You know, I said I would only do a Friday edition of the PFTPM podcast if there was big news on Friday. And I spent the first five minutes after the Colin Kaepernick and Eric Reed settlements were announced convincing myself it wasn't big news. Not big enough to do another edition. But here we are. Five for five for the first time in a long time. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, all driven by news. Thursday, interview with Al Michaels today. The end of the Colin Kaepernick and Eric Reed collusion grievances, a settlement reached. A settlement announced by Mark Garrigus, the lawyer for Colin Kaepernick and Eric Reed, right around 2 p.m. Eastern. My guess is the NFL wanted it to be announced at some point on Friday afternoon, the place where bad news goes to be ignored. And really, let me think about it. If that had hit on a Monday or a Tuesday, it ends up being something that gets a lot more life, a lot more discussion, and they'll be hoping that by Monday it'll largely be forgotten. And that would not have been more, um, what was I saying? That I got a text and it, it distracted me. That kind of happens from time to time when I do this. Anyway, it would have been something that was discussed much more aggressively and prominently if it had been revealed on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday. So it dies over the weekend, and who knows what happens come Monday. And the problem is there's nothing to really discuss. That's the beauty of the confidential settlement. And I had said before, sitting here in this chair into this microphone, that the NFL should pay Colin Kaepernick a large amount of money. They should divide the payments up over the course of five years as an example and if anyone does blab from his side the faucet gets shut it's a lot easier to do that than to pay money and go try to get it back but you know the problem is from both sides perspectives when that does happen number one the truth is never known number two speculation runs wild number three Some people think the guy will have gotten less than he got. Some people think the guy got more than he got. And that really, that really hurts the perceptions for both sides. Nobody's going to know the truth. I put the over under at 49 and a half million. And I really do think that there's significant value here to the NFL beyond avoiding a collusion judgment, a finding by an arbitrator, the NFL colluded against Colin Kaepernick, all the bad PR that would come from that. Just the mere fact that they'd have to go through this hearing process. And my understanding is it would have taken not a day or two, it would have taken a while. 
that it's something that was going to be on again, off again throughout the course of the year. It wasn't going away anytime soon because they weren't going to bring in a stream of owners into one location for formal testimony one after another, like the Seinfeld trial. And I said, this thing is going to be kind of like the trial in my cousin Vinny and the Seinfeld trial rolled into one. The Seinfeld finale, obviously, which, which wasn't very good. Disappointing. They tried too hard. But all those witnesses, one after the other. I think this was going to take an extended period of time. And I think the NFL's lawyers at some point had to realize this isn't going to be good. There's too much potential contradiction among witnesses. There's too much potential for lawyers uh, representing Kaepernick to embarrass these owners, justifiably, but very, very realistically. And it's a hell of a transformation for the lawyers, for the NFL, because there was a time last year where they were determined. They were hell-bent that they were going to win that effort to knock out the case entirely. Remember that? They filed a motion for summary judgment. They won a ruling that they win as a matter of law, slam dunk. There's no reason to have a full-blown hearing. We're right. He's wrong. Give us that piece of paper that says so. They were determined they were going to win. And I think now that they've gotten closer and closer to the reality of what occlusion hearing would have looked like, the problems it would have caused, the issues it would have created, the money it would have cost, the money that would have been at risk, they make it go away. And they ensure that none of the potential evidence of collusion ever comes out. None of the evidence that makes owners, executives, others look bad. Text messages, emails, deposition transcripts. That stuff all remains secret. There is value in that. There is cash money value in that. Over and above, whatever the value is of not losing, there's value in never having this come out. Because win or lose, that stuff was going to come out and was going to make the NFL look bad. And I was kind of looking forward to, but also kind of dreading the arrival of a formal transcript. Thousands of pages with all the exhibits. All the text messages, all the emails, all the deposition transcripts. There would have been one story after another. It would have been day after day after day after day. Hey, here's the latest thing that somebody found in this treasure trove of information. Now that's not going to happen. Here's what's going to happen here. I've, I've said pretty much everything I want to say as a preliminary matter about the settlement. I asked for questions. And... I'm only going to answer questions about the Kaepernick and Reed collusion grievance, the settlement of it. I may have some other thoughts as I go. I've posted some ideas on Twitter. You know, for example, I think the fact that they settled Eric Reed's case bolsters the idea that they just wanted this to be done. They don't want any of this evidence to come out. They probably thought that Reed has no case because he ended up getting a job. And I think Reed probably more steadfast and strident than Kaepernick. Also, I think that Reed's settlement 
probably includes language ending any potential grievance that would have been filed over his belief that he was getting tested for PEDs, not randomly, and they were calling it random. All right. Here we go. Hawkfan68, how can you explain the settlement when no details have been released? Well, I mean, look. Any settlement has no details released. But I can talk about how they got there. I can talk about why they would have done it. I can talk about the mechanics of the process. And I saw someone suggest that it's not likely we'll ever learn anything. No, it's highly unlikely we will ever learn anything. That's part of the value of a confidential settlement. Most settlements of civil cases are confidential. I remember when the Jerry Richardson news broke in December of 2017. And there was this suggestion in the article from Sports Illustrated there was something wrong with having confidential settlements. Settlements of civil cases are almost always confidential. Now, if you pay someone money to just shut up, it has an unseemly feel to it. We learned that last year with the president and his Stormy Daniels situation. She had no basis to sue him for anything. He just wanted her to never mention to anyone what had happened between the two of them. Still legitimate to enter into an agreement like that, but it's got a a more slimy and sleazy feel to it when you're just giving someone money to get them to shut up. That's part of what you're paying for. But with the Stormy Daniels case, it was all the president was paying for was silence. So... Yeah, look, I don't know how much he got, but based upon what I know about the case, I can tell you why the NFL paid. And if the NFL paid anything based upon the NFL's history of fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting and always believing it's going to win and always believing that the person suing the NFL is wrong, my guess is before the NFL pays anything, the NFL is paying everything that the NFL is paying through the nose because the NFL knows what the perception is going to be. And the NFL probably looks at this and says, you know what? We got a good deal. We paid less than what people thought. That idiot Florio thinks the over-under is 49.5 million. Yeah, we paid way less than that. I don't know what they paid. That's why I put the over-under at 49.5 million because that's the number that, to me, I really don't know which side it would go because there's something about crossing that $50 million barrier. So, you know, there are 70 questions. I don't know how many of them are serious. I see a couple of smart aleck ones already, but that's fine. I wanted to give people a way to ask the questions so I can help them understand exactly what's going on. We're never going to know. We're not supposed to know. And I don't like it when people blab. They're not supposed to blab. I, I can remember being so nervous after settling a case for one of my clients And I was the most nervous between the period that the settlement was negotiated and the period that the documents were finalized and the money changed hands. Because during that window, if your client or someone close to your client blabs, the whole thing potentially blows up. And I can just remember plenty of sleepless nights worrying about whether or not one of my clients was going to adhere to the very strong admonition to not say anything. 
And my guess is, in this case, if you're talking about an, a settlement with the NFL and the NFL paying big money, uh, I, I assume that Mark Garrigus and his colleagues can be very nervous about this, They're very nervous that somebody's going to blab, especially because you know people in the media don't care, for the most part, if they screw this up, they just want the information. And there are some people in the, in the media who get indignant. How dare you keep it secret? Well, two parties at arm's length have a right to keep it secret. I'm not going to try to find out what the NFL paid. Why, why do I want to try to get in the middle of an agreement between parties who chose to keep their information private? Well, we have a right to know. No, we don't. No, we don't. Would I like to know? Yes. Do we have a right to know? No. Okay, let's see what else we got. On tour forever, how long before the ESPN 30 for 30 comes out about the Kaepernick case? Look, without any of the evidence available, I I guess you could still put something together. The problem is nobody's going to talk. Nobody from the league's going to talk. Kaepernick's not going to talk. That's going to be part of it. And I saw that the NFLPA expressed hope that Kaepernick will now get back into the NFL. If I'm the NFL and I'm paying this guy a significant amount of money, part of what I'm paying for is he never shows up on my doorstep again. Because if you settle this case now, and it's final today, well, tomorrow, the clock starts ticking on a new collusion claim. And the collusion now isn't simply that you don't like Kaepernick because he was kneeling in support of racial equality, social justice during the anthem. The collusion now comes from he sued the NFL and won. I would have, and and it's just a matter of throwing on, I don't know how many more million, but it would be extra millions. But I would have said, if I'm the NFL, if we're making a significant payment to this guy, this is it. It is over. We are done. Period. Now with Eric Reed, it's different. He just signed a contract this week with the Panthers. But for Colin Kaepernick, no, it's done. No employment, no relationship, no anything. We are buying permanent freedom, silence, etc. And you know, I, I would I would see terms like that in settlement agreements signed. If I had a client who sued an employer, they would want an agreement that the employee would neither seek nor accept employment with the company going forward. Because you don't want this settlement to be the setup for the next case. Tom seven eight seven five three two five nine. I guess I don't understand. I support Kaepernick fully. He should be playing. He's always said it's not about the money. Why settle then? Here's the thing. Even if you say it's not about the money, at some point it is about the money because the money they're putting on the table is so big you can't say no. And there's nothing wrong with that. Justice comes in many shapes, sizes, and forms, and sometimes justice comes in the form of a very large check made payable to your favorite charity, i.e. you. So, somebody asked me about that earlier. Well, why would he do this? Well, because the money was enough that it got him to say, oh, I have to do this. And also from his perspective, there's a certain element of stress involved and strain and worry I don't want to be engaged in this process anymore. I've had enough. It's time to move on. 
And look, I, I have no idea whether or not Mark Garrigus had to play this card. And I never had to officially do it with a client that I represented on a contingency fee. And I'm assuming that Garrigus is representing Kaepernick on a contingency fee, meaning Garrigus doesn't charge Kaepernick. He doesn't send him bills every month for his time and effort. Garrigus is getting a chunk of whatever the settlement of judgment would be. But there was always a provision in my standard fee agreement that I will pay all the costs of the litigation out of my own pocket. And then the costs get reimbursed after the case is resolved. And I always had language in there that said, if there's a point where I recommend settlement and the client declines, all my costs at that point must be paid. Because at that point, I'm ready to turn this potential shot at justice into a form of justice that comes from a settlement. And if the client refuses to go along with my advice at that point, that's fine. But whatever money I've already put into the case, because now the client's gambling with my money. Once I say this is a suitable settlement and I think you should take it, whatever money I have invested at that point stops being my risk and becomes the client's risk. And I've never had to do it. I had to remind a client of it once. I had to say, go back and read the fee agreement before we make a final decision. Read the provision about costs and make sure you understand what this means if you reject my recommendation that you accept the settlement offer. And the client, I don't know whether the client went back and read the agreement, but the client accepted the settlement offer. It was very rare that a client would even begin to dispute a recommendation, whether it was settle or don't settle. And, and, you know, very rarely, when I would try a civil case, very rarely did we walk away from more money or any real money before going to trial. That happened like one time where the offer that was rejected, the last offer before trial, ended up being more than the verdict. It happened once. Usually the verdict or the offer rather, it was so low, even if there was one. Sometimes there just wasn't one. It made it easy to go to trial. But usually the offer's so low because there's such a fundamental disagreement about the, the validity of the case. You go to trial. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. All right. I mean, a lot of people asking these questions, I don't know whether they think they're funny or whether they just don't understand it. You can have a conversation about how this settlement came to be without knowing the terms. So congratulations for coming up with this notion that there's no way to comment on this without knowing the terms. I think there's a way to provide some useful information without knowing the terms. Trust me, I didn't want to do this today. I did not want to do it. I'm just trying to give people answers to questions that I think they're going to have, anticipating the questions and then answering the questions that come up. Here's one from Uncle Larry 112. Do you think Mark Gerger's law firm took this on a contingency basis? Do you think there was some other fixed or hourly based fee agreement? I, I think it was on a contingency. And to finish the point that I was making, it's entirely possible that Colin Kaepernick wanted to keep going. But once he realized I'm going to have to pay Mark Garrigus, all the money that he's incurred from travel expenses, litigation expenses, you know, 
copying charges, just everything. You separately track your expenses for every case you handle. And the main culprits are out-of-pocket expenses for travel, all the trees that get killed, and I don't know anymore how much they actually create hard copies of things and how much is just submitted electronically. Maybe they don't kill trees like they used to. Expert witnesses, if you have them. Any type of money that you spend doing investigative legwork, it can pile up, and that can be the kicker. And maybe Colin Kaepernick was looking at a, a million-dollar bill in expenses incurred by by Mark Garrigus, and I, I don't know. It was a year of discovery. I, I don't know how much he spent. But if you reject the offer to settle, if you want to stand on the soapbox and say we're going forward, that's fine, but you got to pay this money. Let's see what else we have here. Yeah, there there, there are uh, questions not related to Colin Kaepernick, and uh, I'll get to them next week if you ask them next week. LV Professor says the media cares about this way more than the fans. I disagree with it. I think plenty of fans care about it. 2020 hindsight three, if it's in that reported $60 million range, that essentially means that each of the 32 teams are paying $2 million each to stop the bleeding from legal fees, etc., Wonder if it's a Polly from Goodfellas moment. Take the money now. I have to turn my back on you. I, th- I think it is. I think they do turn the back. That's a good analogy. And Ryan Glasspiegel from the big lead raised a point with me earlier about whether or not there's going to be anything in the Packers financial reports that would glean or that could be used to glean the amount of the settlement. And it'll be interesting to see how that gets accounted. One thing that the NFL could do is just take it from revenue, then you won't see any uptick in general expenditures. But he sent me a snapshot of this year's... I'm gonna, I gotta, let me look at this. General and administrative total expenses. 2016, it was 45. 7 million 2017 it was 49.1 million now if it's a 50 million dollar settlement you're talking about less than 2 million per team so you're going to see an uptick and i mean there was an uptick in in over 3 million dollars from 2016 to 2017 in general administrative expenses so it 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 may be hard to, to to figure out based upon the packers financials what all teams paid but, but I'm sure they will try to, to keep that concealed in how they actually charge the teams. And they know people are going to be looking. What else do we have here? Eddie Horse Sports. We know why the settlement issue was dropped today, long weekend and off season, just because the NFL paid a settlement. That doesn't mean it's collusion, even though it obviously was. Correct? Yeah, it, it doesn't mean there was collusion. Here's the thing. The standard term in a civil settlement like this is, number one, confidentiality. Number two, a denial of any wrongdoing. So the NFL denies all wrongdoing. The NFL buys silence. But the mere fact that there is a settlement, people will think that there is something that they must have done to justify settlement. Now, when I represented the companies that would settle these civil cases during really the first half of the 18 years I practiced law, you have to convince the decision makers that, There are other reasons to settle the case unrelated to conceding that you're wrong. You're removing the risk that you may lose. But for the NFL, 
which always fights tooth and nail. The fact that they would acknowledge that risk, acknowledge that they may lose, acknowledge that there's a downside, it tells you they were rattled by what they were facing. They were shaken. And they engaged in an objective analysis of where this could go, and they decided to buy their way out of it. And it was always difficult. When you would try to get your client, especially when it was a corporate client, when you would try to get those people to understand the weaknesses of their case, they would inevitably give you that look like, do you believe in, in what you're doing? Are you, are you the person best suited to defend our interests in court? Are you on board with us here? Or are you like secretly rooting against us? No, hey, you have to be able as a lawyer to take a step back and see the weaknesses of your case and the strengths of the other side's case. That's why private mediation has become so popular where a judge will require the parties to find a third party who will preside over settlement talks. No authority to issue decisions, but the ability to meet individually with the two sides and point out the weaknesses of one side, the strengths of the other side. Be that voice of reason. Be that devil's advocate that gets the client to understand why there's concern. And for all anyone knows, they did have a mediation session, and that's what resulted in the settlement. Mediation works. There's something about it. If you engage in the process in good faith, it works. It works extremely well. And I've been a mediator. I've been on both sides of mediation. It works. It doesn't work all the time, but if there's any inclination by the parties to work something out, just the mere act of going through it pushes everyone to a middle ground, if there is a middle ground. Jesse Water, how much money is Kaepernick paying you for the coverage? I, Yeah, I, I mean, that's just such a stupid and lazy comment, Jesse. And I see that so much. Oh, you must be getting a piece of this. Look, this was a significant development. This was a player who was still in his prime, who was shunned by the NFL. There was a stream of bullshit that was provided by people from various teams to members of the media who happily ran with it and passed it along as if it was gospel truth. When we, The people who are of good faith and sound mind realize that this is just bullshit. And that's what bothered me. I'm, I'm not trying to advance some greater cause here than a general aversion to being fed bullshit. That's what motivates me and drives me through all of this. And I have believed from the early stages of this that the anti-Kaepernick crowd that was feeding to certain members of the media, and they know who they are, these flimsy takes about Colin Kaepernick. Well, he's really not serious about football. Well, he only wants a starting job. Well, he wants X million dollars. Well, he's a vegan. Well, he's never been very good. Well, he's a He's not a pocket passer. Well, we, we have a starter who runs a different type of, a, of, a, of an offense, so we couldn't justify having a backup who runs a different system. It's just all bullshit. It's all bullshit. And certain people in the media accepted that bullshit because it advanced their broader agenda to have relationships in place where they get the information they need and the access they crave. And certain members of the fan base who were inclined to not like Colin Kaepernick because he did not stand for the anthem, were willing to accept that bullshit wholeheartedly because it advanced their hatred, it supported their dislike, it confirmed their pre-existing beliefs about Colin Kaepernick, even if it was bullshit. 
Camster, 466-11, do you think Kaepernick will be on a team by the beginning of the league year? I do not believe he will be. And if I were the NFL, I would throw extra money on the pile to keep him out of the NFL for good. But because of the broad confidentiality provision, there's no reason for anyone to ever say that that's one of the terms. It would be a violation of the confidentiality provision to say that. On tour forever makes an astute comment about being able to determine the amount of the settlement from the Green Bay financial records. I think they will construct those things in a way that makes that difficult, if not impossible. Let's see what else we have here. Harvey Schuyler. What would you propose to counter the argument that NFL teams make exceptions for elite players? Ray Lewis stated on stayed on the Ravens because they knew that getting rid of the best linebacker in the NFL would hurt their ability to win. Homicide involvement is worse than kneeling. Well, here's the thing. Back in 1999-2000, the alleged involvement in the homicide, that, that, that wasn't triggering the kind of PR fallout that it would have today. You have a Ray Lewis type of an allegation today. You have a star player standing trial for first-degree murder and ultimately pleading guilty to obstruction of justice and getting fined, not suspended. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't unfold that way now. And the thing with Kaepernick was, you know, if it's Tom Brady, there's no way that he's unemployed. If it's Brian Hoyer, and I only mention him because he's Tom Brady's backup, it's easier to justify saying, eh, no, sorry. Kaepernick's somewhere between a starter, an obvious starter, and an obvious backup. So it's a harder question for the teams to resolve when they aren't getting a clear-cut difference maker at quarterback, and they're focused on only those voices that were huffing and puffing and threatening to blow the house down if you do business with Colin Kaepernick. Now, and remember, one of the things that came out during this whole process, during the discovery phase, the idea that there was a certain segment of the fan base that was strongly and vehemently against Kaepernick. And those are the people the NFL chose to listen to, even though there was an equally large section of the fan base that supported Kaepernick. For whatever reason, the NFL decided that it made more sense to do what the people who were opposed to Kaepernick wanted them to do, which is shun him. And the evidence that would have come out, I firmly believe, if the grievance had gone through to a hearing, the evidence would have been not that there was some secret agreement among the teams to shun Kaepernick, but that the league office was making it known to the various teams that doing business with Kaepernick was bad for business overall. And that they tried to do it in a subtle way, but it wasn't subtle. And it was obvious that the league office was directing the 32 teams in the direction that the league office wanted it to go. And you know, when you think about the way the league operates, these are 32 ostensibly separate businesses, but there is this, this umbrella that hovers over the entire 32 businesses that are supposedly competing when it comes to player acquisition, when it comes to trying to win, but there's this umbrella that tries to hold them all together. And there's a lot of stuff the league does that is necessarily collusive. Most of it is proper and acceptable under the CBA, but 
plenty of things the NFL does. You know, the, the coaching salary range and the fact that head coaches haven't seen their pay go up the way that it should, there's an element of collusion there. The percentage increases in head coaching salary over the years compared to the percentage increases in pay for quarterbacks and players and the revenue increases. Coaches' pay hasn't gone up the way that it should. Lends to the idea that there's collusion. But no head coach is going to sacrifice his career because that's what would happen. Look at Kaepernick. You're sacrificing your career if you take that stand. See, no matter what quality of legal rights you would have, you can't force the billionaires to hire you if they don't want to hire you. They'll just write a check. If you are able to check all the boxes and put them in a difficult spot where they think that they may lose at trial, then they'll just buy their way out of it. And again, you know, 32 teams and they're all kicking in equally. What's 2 million per team to make this go away? 64 million. That's how they justified the concussion settlement. The concussion settlement is peanuts in the grand scheme of things for 32 independent businesses that come together and, and each pool an or financially. They, they got off relative to what the exposure would have been, relative to what the embarrassment would have been if all those documents came out. They got off scot-free. They got off in ski mask territory with the concussion settlement. Uh, let's see what else we have here. I, I understand plenty of people don't care about the Kaepernick case and still care enough to tell me they don't care about it. I mean, the fact that you don't care about it and the fact that you tell me you don't care about it, I don't care if you don't care. I, I still think there are people out there that want to know how we got to this point. And even though we won't know and presumably never will know the details of the settlement, that there is plenty to think about. And, and there's plenty of things about it that I think are interesting. But thank you for letting me know you're not interested. Thank you. I'm not interested that you're not interested, but thank you for letting me know. And I have a feeling you're not interested that I'm not interested that you're not interested. Grill Chief 02, what about Kaepernick sitting on the bench before all this started because the 49ers put him in bubble wrap? I just want some clarification on this. I don't know what you mean. When did they put him in bubble wrap? I mean, he was... He... he for the last season he was in San Francisco, he had three injuries coming out of 2015. So going into 2016, he wouldn't have been able to pass a physical before his salary became fully guaranteed on April 1. So they were kind of stuck with him. Remember they tried to trade him to Denver and John Elway wanted him to take less than what he was due to make. I think it was $12 million fully guaranteed as of April 1. John Elway wanted him to take less than that. And he said, why should I? And I remember the, the, the issue coming up in the posts and the stories. Like, why should I? And so the trade never went through. All because John Elway was trying to squeeze Colin Kaepernick to take less than he was entitled to. So he took the $12 million. He wasn't ready to go week one. Blaine Gabbert was the starter. And eventually Kaepernick played. And of course, the people who don't like Kaepernick will point to their interpretation of his performance and say he wasn't good enough in 2016. And the people who support Kaepernick will say, wait a minute. And again, my perspective is I don't like the BS that's been thrown about. 
Good question from Orlando Pena. Can we expect that one of the 32 owners will leak the value of the settlement? I think the value of the settlement is significantly high. There's no reason for the league to leak it. There's no reason for any of the owners to leak it. Another one from Orlando Pena. Over under on the percentage he will donate to his cause. That's his business. That's up to him. He's done plenty for his cause. If he wants to keep every penny that he got, that's up to him. What you do with your money is your business. If you want to give it all to charity, that's your business. If you want to give none of it to charity, that's your business. And also keep this in mind. He's going to have to pay taxes on this. He doesn't get this all as a lump sum. Personal injury settlement, you get it all as a lump sum. Now they may try to finagle some of this in a personal injury type of a categorization and that always made me nervous i was always worried the irs was going to show up on the back end and challenge these designations and create a big mess i never had it happen once thank god but for a major settlement like this you never know especially since kaepernick fairly notorious figure politically i'd want to have everything buttoned up and this is an employment dispute and typically and i haven't kept up with the laws in this regard and the developments in the tax laws and i don't know what is or what isn't taxable at this point and what is or what isn't deductible on the back end but there's a good chance he's got to pay taxes on all this and we never think of that oh he got 100 million dollars well yeah how much of that's he actually going to get whatever it is 50 million how much is he actually going to get and that's all that matters and that, that i always tried to be able to tell my clients when we negotiate one of these settlements not what the total value is but what they would have when it was all said and done we'd be running the numbers i'd have my accountant available and i'd I'd say, all right, here's the the number that's on the table. How much of this is my client going to have after fees, expenses, taxes, everything? How much is going to be left? How much will they have? What will their justice look like when it's in their bank account? Let's see what else we have here. Gigi McDonald. And this bears repeating. The question is, would it be legal for the NFL to say that as a condition of the settlement, Kaepernick can never play in the NFL again? Do you think they will have included that if it's legal? I I think they should include that, and it is permissible to have an agreement that it is the end of the relationship and the two sides will never do business again. That is perfectly permissible. Another one from Gigi McDonald. If anything about the case is leaked, do you think the NFL would go after Kaepernick and Reed? How realistic is it that no details will emerge? I, I think that it's realistic that we won't have details, at least for the next three, four, five years. At some point down the road, will Eric Reed say something to someone? Will Colin Kaepernick say something to someone? The farther removed we get from the case, the farther we removed we get from the the details. I think, you know, if there's a new commissioner in place, that would be the time to, I think, wonder whether or not Reed or Kaepernick will blab when there's a new commissioner in place. Because I don't think a new commissioner is going to want to go back and pick the scab off that wound. At some point, though, someone somewhere, there's too many people who are going to know something about this, and there's too much of a motivation by the media to get to the bottom of it, even though it's none of our business. I'd say that after there's a new commissioner, there's a chance someone's going to blab. Sir Halcyon Bombadil, Mike, defenders of Kaepernick, said he would expose the NFL if he played for the AAF, but he went with, yet again, the ridiculous contract demands, just like he did with the 49ers, Browns, Broncos, and Ravens, and sunk those options as he wanted to behave more than Tom Brady. Well, look, 
Saying you want to be paid more than Tom Brady isn't exactly the best way to put it. A lot of crappy quarterbacks are paid more than Tom Brady. Blake Bortles is paid more than Tom Brady. See, anytime those misleading facts creep their way into the characterization, you know what someone's objective and agenda is. I look at it this way. How much value would Kaepernick bring to the AAF? If he would bring more than $20 million in value to the AAF, and they give him $20 million, they're making money on the proposition. Right? Now, they apparently weren't comfortable taking the risk that a $20 million investment in Colin Kaepernick would yield more than $20 million in return. But you think about what it would mean to the AAF to have Colin Kaepernick wearing a Birmingham Iron jersey, a Arizona Hotshots jersey, any of the teams. I don't know where, Salt Lake City, is that the team he'd be assigned to since he went to Utah? Is it Utah or Nevada? Either way, close enough. I, I It was Nevada. I... I think that you'd have to look at how much this guy brings to the table versus how much you're paying him. I mean, this is a league of slappies. Let's call it what it is. It's a bunch of guys who are making 80000 a year, guys who aren't good enough to play in the NFL, guys who are hoping that they do enough in the AAF that they'll end up with a chance to play in the NFL. If you are serious about bringing a star player into the business, you have to be willing to break from your mold of what you pay. Why would he take 80000 a year? Oh, he wants to prove that he belongs in the NFL. He takes whatever they give him. No, it's a business, man. He takes whatever fair value is, and the AAF pays him what they think is necessary to get him, and they have a projection as to how much he will allow them to make. And they weren't willing to take that risk. They weren't willing to upend their business model for a guy who maybe could result in a cash infusion in excess of $20 million if that's what they would be paying him. Ricardo, if it was not about the money, he, they shouldn't have settled. Yeah, well, everything's not about the money until it is about the money. There's always a dollar value that makes it about the money. And when you have lawyers involved who have their business interest tied up in this and the only way they get paid is if there's a settlement. That's how it becomes about money. Gigi McDonald, since the hearing was in front of an arbitrator and not a jury, can you explain how the evidence would have gotten out to the public? I'm assuming the NFL wanted to settle so the evidence would stay confidential. Yeah, here's the thing. There was a gag order in place for the parties. Once the case is over, though, Nothing stops the lawyers involved. Mark Garrigus. Mark Garrigus was probably never going to have another matter in front of an NFL arbitrator. That person has no ongoing authority over Mark Garrigus. He releases the transcript. He releases depositions. He releases emails. He releases text. They can't stop him at that point. That's how it works. Doing this settlement and including in there a very clear provision that none of this evidence ever gets leaked to anyone. Otherwise, it would be a violation of the terms of the settlement. That's how you keep it from getting out. And that's part of the value in doing this. The Andy one, I had no strong feelings about the matter on either side. That's usually a sign that the person does have strong feelings on one side or the other. However, I did get sick of nationalists crying and him somehow being revered as a hero for it. 
does this mean I won't have to hear the media talk about him all the time like last offseason? Look, I don't know how much talk there was about him last offseason. I think it was the earlier offseason where it was a bigger issue. But in my mind, I'm going to assume that there's a walkaway agreement and that this is done. I'm going to assume that the NFL's lawyers did their job the way they should have done it and insisted on an agreement that this is over, that this relationship's over, and there will be no Colin Kaepernick employment by the NFL. And I know the NFLPA, as I said earlier, expressed hope that he'll be back, but they also said they don't know what the terms are. So I got nothing more to say about Colin Kaepernick in the NFL after this, because unless someone tells me otherwise, I am going to assume that part of this agreement is it's over, it's done, and he'll never play in the NFL again. Kibby, 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 at the very least, this is a tacit admission on the part of the league. There was some collusion. I know it would have been hard to prove collusion, but the NFL comes out as a loser in this. What say you? Yeah, they can't escape that perception. A league that always fights, 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 and fights when it comes to matters in court, the fact that they would settle this comes off as an acknowledgement that they were responsible, even though they've denied responsibility. And I think they finally understood what the theory was. That this isn't an argument that 32 owners got together and had a secret agreement to shun Colin Kaepernick. The argument was that the league office made it clear to the teams that it's bad for business to have him on a roster. I think that's what the argument would have been, and I think there's a pretty good chance the evidence would have supported that. Let's see what else we have here. Some of these are repetitive, so I don't want to keep repeating. Ergo, my conclusion, they're repetitive. If you had to speculate, there's a sham god would the settlement be larger than what the AAF had offered him? Well, of course. I don't know what the AAF offered him, but yeah, it's much larger. And I'm skeptical. I think that the leak, and I believe the leak came from Bill Polian to Barry Wilner of the AP on Thursday of this supposed demand of more than $20 million by Colin Kaepernick to play in the AAF. I think this was one last middle finger to Kaepernick before the deal got announced. I think this was one last opportunity for the NFL to twist the knife a little bit, for the old school NFL guard to twist the knife just a little bit on Kaepernick before he goes away forever. That's what I believe. I don't know that it's right or wrong, but that's what I believe. Let's see what else we have here. CLB Law, do you assume the discovery resulted in evidence that the NFL conspired to keep the players out of the league? I think the discovery resulted in evidence that would have supported the argument, and the NFL would have fought it tooth and nail, but I think the NFL engaged in an objective assessment of the evidence and realized we're going to get screwed here potentially. Scrolling through these, because again, the, 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 the deeper I get into this, the more I'm seeing repetitive questions. GM McHugh, you're super jealous of Kaepernick's representation, aren't you? I don't know that I'm super jealous of their representation. I mean, they took on the case and they saw something that others didn't and they're going to get compensated for their efforts. And I'm glad I don't practice law anymore. I got over that wall 10 years ago, pal. I served my time. It is not an easy way to make an existence because you are fighting someone all the time. You are fighting for justice for your clients all the time when you represent individuals. When when you represent companies, you get paid by the hour. So win or lose doesn't matter. I'm still getting my money. When you represent individuals on a contingency fee, you are fighting and fighting and fighting. And it is. And and look, for, for me, I knew there was always another case to go work on. It made it so much easier to deal with situations that didn't work out the way that I thought they would. Hey, I move on to the next one. For the clients... This is it for them. 
That's why I would always, I, you know, if the client showed any inclination to take the best offer that was available before trial, I would never push the client to throw it back unless I thought the client wanted to throw it back. If I thought this client wanted to take it, and you can tell in their demeanor, you can tell in the questions they ask, you can tell which way they're leaning. Even if I wanted to take that case and fight it, I didn't want to blow my client's shot at justice. And again, getting the company that has persistently and consistently refused to give you a dime to agree to pay you anything and to work it out that way, there's justice in that. Even if I thought more justice would have been available if we had won a trial. And there's too many, especially with a jury, there are too many different ways things can unfold. Things that you anticipate, things you don't anticipate. I remember the time in 1996, I went to University of North Carolina for a 10-day intense trial training program. And I learned a lot there about how to present evidence, about how to communicate to a jury. And the end of the week involved a trial. And I know I've said this before here, but I think it makes sense to point it out right now. It was a mock trial. You put on witnesses, you made arguments, and there were local members of the community who were hired to come in. I don't know if they paid them 50 bucks a day or want and gave them a box, a, a box lunch and they eventually deliberated and they got into it and it was all on like a closed circuit feed and we could see and hear what they were saying and it's terrifying when you realize that the lawyers and the judge will obsess over the limits of what you can say and what you can't say and what's admissible evidence and what isn't admissible and you put those people in the jury room and the things they talk about, the things they speculate about, the crackpot theories they come up with, it's like, why do we even bother to worry about the limits of permissible and admissible evidence? So when you go forward with the jury system, you're accepting the risk that some of this crackpot stuff is just going to completely poison all the efforts you've made to put together a case that, that gets your point across in a way that you think is successful. Now, in an arbitration, it's a different ball game altogether. But there's a lot of uncertainty and you're putting all the eggs in one basket, what that arbitrator ultimately thinks of the evidence and how the arbitrator believes it fits together or doesn't fit together to prove responsibility. All right, scrolling through some more here. A lot of these are questions I've already answered. So somebody suggests that I'm not being objective. I, I think I'm being objective. I think I'm being as objective as I can be just because I'm not going to uh, say Kaepernick was bad because he exercised his right to to protest peacefully. I, I still think I'm being objective about how this case could have transpired, would have transpired. Look, there was no smoking. If there was a smoking gun piece of evidence, it would have gotten leaked to somebody. This was all circumstantial evidence. It was going to be pieced together very meticulously and Kaepernick could have lost. Kaepernick could have won. And who knows? Maybe it was harder to convince Kaepernick to take the deal in the NFL. Maybe Kaepernick's the one who stood on the table and said, no way in hell, let's go forward. But regardless, both sides were able to see the weaknesses in their case, the strengths in the other side's case, and come to a decision. It's like the old Venn diagram. All those two circles have to do is peck. You get just a little kiss. And they did. And they got it resolved. All right, let's see what else we have here. chances a team signs Kaepernick now this this is coming up a lot and let me just reiterate I personally think it's over I don't think he's going to be back 
How much extra did the NFL pay to let this get announced on a Friday on a holiday weekend? Yeah, that's part of the timing. If I'm the NFL's lawyers, I'm saying, look, here's when we're going to announce this. we got to announce it at some point. We're going to announce it on. And and who knows whether they, I doubt that they've had an agreement in place for a while. But th- this Friday is a good time to announce it. Let's see what else here. Scrolling through here. Probably should wrap this up. Jason Chappell, or Capel rather, excuse me, what happens to Reed's collusion case? He's been on the Panthers roster for quite some time. He had, he had a collusion case as well, and it's it's been resolved. And he had a period of months last year when he was unemployed, and his argument is he was unemployed in those months because there's collusion. And eventually, new Panthers owner David Tepper decided to buck the trend. That would be his argument. His case is settled as well, though. He's getting something. I assume Kaepernick's getting a lot more, but Reed's case is over as well. And part of Reed's case, this idea that he was targeted not randomly for random PED tests, I suspect that goes away as well. If I'm the NFL, I want that to go away too. I want all claims. Usually what you do when you put in the magic words in a release agreement that releases the legal rights that the person who is making the claim has against the defendant, there's this broad clause and and it becomes laughable. That basically says any and all claims that ever were made or could have been made by this person against this entity from the beginning of time until the date of this agreement are waived. And it's much broader than that is every possible way you could describe a claim that would be made is in there. It's a general release of liability and every lawyer has in his or her bank of of documents and materials language that was picked up from someone else at some point and maybe they add a little bit to it here or there but there's this big long paragraph and it does say in there from the beginning of time until the date of this agreement they want every possible legal claim that could have been made that wasn't made that could that was made that maybe wasn't even thought of everything is covered and when we write this check we are buying peace for any claim that Eric Reed or Colin Kaepernick ever could have made. Everything. So I think that the PED situation, to the extent Eric Reed was grousing about being fined for certain hits happening during games, to the extent that would have become a claim, anything he ever could have claimed against the NFL, anything he did claim, anything he didn't claim, anything he could have claimed, it's all included in there. All right, let's see what else we have here. This is a good one. Lapore Bob, how does this affect Jeff Pash's job security slash support from the owners? The thinking is that Pash stays as long as and until the new CBA is resolved. That after the next CBA, that that's when they move on from Pash. I've heard that from several different sources. That Pash knows too much about how to properly negotiate the CBA to justify moving on from him. But, you know, to the extent that Pash has fingerprints on any of the evidence that was generated and that ultimately would have been used to show any type of collusion. That that doesn't reflect well on him, but I don't think they're going to do anything with Pash until after the CBA is extended and uh, it may be a new commissioner that decides on whether or not Pash sticks around. All right, I think that's it. We've gone for about an hour here. Let me see. Let me, let me see how much is here. Is there anything else here? People keep guessing on the over-under. I've said $49.5 million, and uh, I'm going to stick to that. And maybe one of these days, someone will blab, and we'll know, and uh, and maybe it will spawn a separate wave of litigation. Typically, though, my experience is everybody just wants this to be over. That if the party who is paying the money has any 
lingering animosity to the point where they're going to aggressively pursue this if there's any deviation that, that if you have that kind of zeal in place when you settle the case you shouldn't be settling the case now obviously you have a right to expect that this information isn't going to come out and i think it would be unwise for kaepernick or reed or anyone close to them who knows about this to blab but I think after the passage of four or five years, once there is a new commissioner, I think at that point, there will be a Sunday splash report. And at that point, probably no one will care anymore. But I'd say at some point, we're going to find out. And I think the number, when we find out, will be bigger than $49.5 million. And if it's less than that, if you're Kaepernick and if you're Reed, maybe you should have pushed forward with a full-blown hearing. All right, that's it for the weekend. We'll be back maybe on Monday with a President's Day edition of PFTPM. We'll see how the weekend goes. At uh, at the latest, we'll do one on Tuesday. We'll have PFT Live on Monday. Postings on profootballtalk.com all weekend long. Have a great weekend. Thanks for your support of the podcast, and we'll talk soon. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.